September 3rd, 1967, the Black and Amber Tide Turns, a four-part documentary series on KCLR, presented by Kilkenny Hurler, Michael Fenley. You're Eddie Kerr scoring a goal, you're Eddie Kerr getting a point, you're Eddie Kerr hitting a penalty. That was a massive influence. Eddie Kerr's puck is good and it's over the bar! Eddie Kerr was known as one of the greatest hurlers and forwards that has ever played the game. He has mountains and mountains of medals. He has six All-Ireland medals. He has five All-Star medals. He was on the team of the Century in 1984. He was on the team of the Millennium in the 1000s. He's 17 years playing for Kilkenny. And he has 35 goals and 336 points. It was only recently bet by a fellow Kilkenny man, Henry Shefflin. Nine times out of ten, Ali was very much uh, a jovial character. Did a true humour. Even when he was ten years dropped, he kind of walked away thinking it wasn't so bad. You know yourself, Michael. The crowd go wild every time in Crow Park when someone bursts out the ball. And often Ali did it. He, he didn't go out the side hiding or anything like that. He went straight through the middle. He burst through. He sidestep. He sidestep mum like Tyson. And sending the ball down to Tom Walsh, grabbing it. The Kilkenny men hungry for Hurley now. That 67 team and them players of the past, they were great role models to us. And um, it meant a lot to, 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 to us as players. Back then, Hurling was a very vicious kind of sport, but they were men, they were hardy, and they took it. It wasn't like the soccer you have these days where lads get infections and a pimple on their leg and they won't play the game. It was different back then. You could play with 10 stitches on your head. Hi, I'm Michael Fenley, and our final programme is about the legacy left by this heroic team and management. So today I'm here in studio with DJ Carey, going to talk about the 1967 and some of those um, past and present players um, about, I suppose, their hurling, about their character and, and where they've gone on from there. Um, just obviously, look, 1967, you weren't around for that. And um, I was just watching myself uh, a week or two ago. And, you know, I, w- I would have heard, again, the tales of some of the former players, the likes of Ollie Welch's, the Pad Illins, the Hendersons, um, the K- Eddie Kerr and so forth. Um and they're all great, and actually, from seeing the video, you know, I was really impressed, and obviously got to visually see the players play themselves. And and let's say Ollie in particular. Um, I know Ollie did a bit of um, coaching over yourself uh, in the nineties, but uh, just looking back at his profile, he had about three All Stars, he had five All Irelands, he went into management, and obviously, I think he was a twenty ones, maybe minors for a couple of years, and ended up going to management in around nineteen ninety one. Wicky Kenny, uh, um, I played senior hurling under Ollie, but actually, my first introduction to him was he was the junior. Kilkenny coach at the time he, he was just a, a great character he was he was just one of these guys was was a child at heart mm-hmm. you know and uh, always up for a laugh and I remember coming from a game I think it was in Ennis and I passed Ollie out in the car as you would as a 19 year old or 20 year old and about two miles down the road this car just <laughs> buzzed by, by me you know and the horn was good that's yeah. the type of character he was, yeah. he was just just uh, it was always but it was it was the type that there was always a laugh but there was an absolute right time to be serious yeah. you know and that's that, that was the way it was with Ollie that he was able to just turn it off or turn both on, you know, mm. turn one off, turn, and then that was time. Uh, and that that probably came from that era, because if you ever met guys of that era at a match, 
they were serious men. Mm. Do you know, even yeah, nowadays yeah. at matches, they're, they're serious <laughs> men. So you can imagine what they were like on a field. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, and that's actually, it's, it's hard to find that balance of that bit of crack and the seriousness. But um, even I think Nicky Brennan had stated before that he brought the best out in fellas. He was a uh, great crack for, for a joke. Always cracking jokes the whole time. Babs Keaton would have said in terms of his um, his goalkeeping skills, he was probably one of the best of all time in terms of the goals. So um, definitely he's able to actually obviously play in the field and he's able to carry that through then to, to his coaching. Um, which is quite important. Even when you'd be practicing penalties, Ollie would be Ollie would stand in the goal. He'd be in the middle of the goal. Do you know what I mean? And you'd be practicing penalties. I mean, yeah. And like at at that time, I was a decent penalty taker. And like some lads wouldn't stand in the goal of a Friday night when mm-hmm. you'd be practicing penalties because you'd be hitting them as hard as you could. <laughs> but he had no fear. And I mean, you know, he had he had wrists on him that were banged up with arthritis and mm. the ankles and that were but yet he, he just had the touch and he just had this most wonderful touch that probably even at that time you wouldn't necessarily see in the heat of battle but mm. certainly when when he was over Kilkenny uh, and I, I never saw him at a training session without a hurl in his hand okay. he always had a hurl in his hand when we were training and you could just see that just lovely touch he had Love, love for the game and yeah. when he's manager was he able to delegate or would he just take on maybe tactically maybe in games or what was it exactly made him that made him good because obviously he came on and he won I think he lost 91 and he won 92 93 so um, was there a, a big change obviously you were minor 88 so you've been quite young in a way on the team still but um, did he bring anything different maybe to what you've seen or uh, well you're, you're the younger generation Michael so you you will see that you have a whole delegation you could have 10 or 12 guys nearly around the team and one of the first times that under my career Ollie brought in Mikko Flynn Mikko was the physical trainer now again you guys are training the most are, are training the most sophisticated of places and the gymnasium has come into it and weights and all that we trained uh, in the middle of Gorn Park Racecourse. Then when that became unavailable, if you can picture Bennis Bridge, Hurland, Hurland, where the Hurland field is, well, up past the wall, that's where we used to run up a, a hill a and down a hill and up a hill. So it wasn't very sophisticated. And Miko, Miko had to come out with uh, trying to make a, a route along there and you were avoiding cow dung and you were avoiding whatever else was in the middle of it uh, and maybe the odd pothole as well. So, but But... Other than that, it was Ollie, and and what would be foreign to you again? And nowadays is we used to we used to hit balls on the ground for I'd say half an hour <laughs> at least every night. That was the, one of the big things was pulling on the ball, striking the ball, five in a line, uh, and it was a massive yeah. part of it. Whereas uh, I don't see any of that being done nowadays. No, the game has changed. Yeah, I was just talking to um, Eddie Kerr and, and Tom Welsh there previously, and that's for me the big change. Or is it, now it's all possession. A lot of it is played as as you say possession but a lot of it is played to a system as well mm. I'm not saying that's what's being coached at, at at the top level but it's certainly a lot of it is different and technical yeah. uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that the game has to develop um, but in the 67 and onwards and you know you'd see an awful lot of ground stroke and we'd say oh god that would look slow but it, it wasn't so it, I, I see now in, from my time when I was playing and you'd see a, a bit of a match you'd say gee how did people think I was fast? Do you know what I mean? You were running along there and you looked as slow as a wet week towards the lads nowadays and the old jersey was two times, twice too big for you and everything mm-hmm. and now lads are absolutely painted into it. But you know, it wasn't slow. It wasn't slow. It was at a very fast, oh. it was at a very fast pace. It's just the way television 
had it, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and. Um, you know, so there was an awful lot of ground, but there was an awful lot of quick ball and there was an awful lot of smart and there was not, yeah. you know, huge amount of team play. You know, Eddie Eddie Kerr obviously was a hero to, uh, of, of so many. But it just seemed to me that um, lads wanted to win the ball to give it to Eddie because <laughs> they knew Eddie had put it between the, the posts or over the bar. Whereas now a big emphasis on make sure you get a couple of scores yourself you know yeah. just get on the scoreboard make sure you score so there's a little bit more selfishness coming into the game now you mentioned Eddie Kerr um, you'd have heard stories from Eddie I don't know if you've seen many games on, on TV or anything but um, what do you make of Eddie Kerr well uh, the only game I ever saw Eddie play live was a special junior <laughs> county final and I think he might have been uh, my own age at that time <laughs> so I got to see him playing very little but uh, got to really know him very personally in the sense that Eddie was the bank manager in Callan so um, I got to know him very well and, and to this day and, and obviously a, a, a very good friend um, but Eddie Kerr was the one we all wanted to be mm-hmm. even though I never saw him playing my hero would have been Jerry Henderson in the sense that I grew up seeing Jerry yeah. play but I never saw but yet when you were pucking the ball against the wall and, and 11 goals and 20 points down <laughs> you wanted to be Eddie Kerr uh, you were Eddie Kerr scoring a goal you were Eddie Kerr getting a point or <laughs> Eddie Kerr hitting a penalty you know so um, th- that was a massive influence obviously his record in terms of what he has scored and, and that is, is legendary in the game um, you know but from the point of view of actually seen him I wouldn't have but yet by the fact that I didn't see him he was still a massive influence on on my career, on career even, yeah. and then uh, Eddie Eddie was part of Dermot Healy's management team uh, and I was from I was in Kieran's College at the time okay. and brought into the Kenny senior panel under Eddie okay. that was brought in as a as a goalkeeper at the time uh, but uh, Eddie was a selector Eddie and Ollie Harrington and actually hurls I was said to the lads the hurls they used back then were like hockey sticks years slightly got bigger <laughs> but not not a whole lot more would I be right in saying that compared to now yeah not a whole lot more uh, well when, when you look at a hurl now bosses would have shrunk a little bit from our time but uh, yeah when you look at like they've goalkeeper the, the Go- bosses on yeah. hurls now are goalkeepers like uh, you know frame pan I, I see guys of your size now Mike and you're 6 foot 3 6 foot 4 you know you come across that and be using 33 inch hurl or 34 inch hurl <laughs> Willie O'Connor used a 37 inch hurl <laughs> <laughs> I was 35 and a half but you're, if you're going on my size mm. now I probably should be using a 33 yeah, you know yeah. it's it's gassed away and maybe funny enough that's why some of the ground hurling is gone because the hurls are shorter you have to bend down as so well far and to, you have to, to bend down so yeah. far now look as you know the, the, the ball you go back to 67 sure the ball was I remember having old balls and sure, gee, they were desperate all together massive weight really they were massive weight but like uh, they obviously improved a lot to when I was playing but there were still a, a ball if it got wet was still a big soggy hard ball. Mm. Nowadays, it's it's obviously rubber inside it where it gets very little um, soakage, and you know you could you could use the one ball for a whole game if that's all you had, and mm. it wouldn't really go out of shape. Whereas again, and this is uh, this is how phenomenal I suppose Eddie Kerr was in his time uh, with the amount that he scored because that ball would be waving in the air. You don't know. I remember asking him, "How would you hit a wet ball?" <laughs> 
you know, as in yeah. for freeze and that to try and hit it accurately, you know, and his idea was you, you hit it as high as possible mm. to try and take the drill out of it that it, it waves so much. Mm. But now a guy on a wet day, you'd see the good free takers now can hit the ball like TJ Reid or Parik Manley or Henry or anything. They can just drill a ball from 80 or 90 yards post, yeah. and uh, it doesn't deviate at all. And again, yeah, look, I'd say even hitting the ball back then was a plus. Like, you know, I've actually connected with this now. I'd be happy with it. That's what I've been looking at. Um, and you're obviously a free taker as well. Yeah. What was your technique or what, what, what did you used to do? Did you used to do something kind of recurrent the whole time? Yeah, I, I did actually. And, and funny enough, um, actually, uh, when I was growing up, I wasn't really a free taker per se. Um, I was kind of half in goal, half out of field at times. Kieran's College minor teams under 16 teams up along Adrian Rohn was the main man <laughs> you know so he was the free taker oh, yeah, okay. on everything um, so I, 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 I'll always remember actually Eddie Eddie Carroll calling me aside one day at, at training and he said look you know the way I was positioning myself and the way I was angled and he got me lined up an awful lot more and his emphasis his, his big thing was if you're lined up properly all you really needed to do then afterwards was rise the ball properly and strike it whereas you know if you're lined up a bit to the right or a bit to the left well then you have to do something yeah. within there to to get it right and uh, so I spent a, a good bit of time uh, on that Farming was a huge profession um, back obviously back in the 50s, 60s, 70s yeah. and even yourself you probably used to, would have still cycled to school maybe yeah, as well I, Well I ran, ran I ran home from school ran home from school yeah. Yeah. so yeah. there's an awful lot of that, and you're playing yeah. and that's all constant and even yeah. though there's still a, a big cohort doing that these days like you know you yeah. still have some you have some young lads who are actually doing too much nearly as well because yeah. they're part of so many different teams age groups and that but then there's yeah. a bigger um, massive people who are not doing enough yeah. so there's probably a lot more obviously training um, being done and obviously you still research is saying now that a chronic load is what you're looking for so to have a continuous amount every week and you're you're progressing it yeah. not to kind of you know to, to, I'll take a break here for a week and I'll go back into it again that could yeah. be a, an acute then week where you might actually get an injury so some signs some results are coming out like that at the moment yeah. so that's, that's that's coming in but that definitely intensity the speed running and the hits the hits are definitely gone, gone a bit bigger yeah. and a cla- me clashing into you into your knee that could cause your, yeah. your cruciate to happen just like that yeah. Um, yeah. A, a sharp twist again there you go um, yeah. cruciate could actually go as well so um, things like that I suppose maybe probably things are a lot more, more, lot more intense um, from what you can see comparing no, d- d- the, without, the any, without any shadow of doubt it is a lot yeah. more intense and yeah. I mean even when I was giving up hurling Nick Kilkenny trains that while the hurling would be good and hardy a lad would pull out a pulling on you because you wouldn't want to hurt you yeah. which is by the end of it yeah. it's the way it is in club training underage training all sorts of sessions now the only thing i kind of looking at now I'm seeing maybe we haven't you know the best quality coming at the moment so I'm looking and saying are we making a big mistake now at under sixes and eights that we haven't our minor trainers coaching those guys because they're getting into bad habits mm. because it's new parents coming to nothing wrong with new parents coming to the game we need them badly but what's happening is they don't understand the game so young lads are getting very bad habits yeah, yeah. so by the time that you get them at 12, 13, 14 they have an awful lot of bad habits which is very hard to get out of yeah. you know once you get into a habit you know, once you get into a habit to, to get rid of one and, yeah. uh, and but definitely I think it's much more intense now yeah. hardy you know and training sessions like you guys are getting you're hitting harder. You're getting hit harder. Mm. Yeah, and but that's three, four nights a week. Yeah, you know, yeah, ours was far less than that, and we weren't. There's no way where we get like we get hit with a hurl mm. 
more much more than you'd get hit with a body yeah, and like a, a, a body is a fair clatter all the same do you know what I mean you were waiting for a match to put in the big shoulders or big hits per se rather than the train actually happening in yeah. a training session even though you'd be determined or whatever yeah. and training would be pretty decent like it wouldn't be it wouldn't be bordering on nasty now mm. <laughs> you know yeah. to be fallouts now with training club and county to be fought mm. and to be and if you're not if you're not actually up to that level or doing that you you know yeah, like you, 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 totally. for us now yeah. I suppose back in 06 or 07 or 09 or 10 those kind of years like we had such a huge panel of yeah. you know we had a panel of 33 34 but there's yeah. another 10 players and clubs who are good enough to be in there so we had an absolute mass of, of excellent players yeah. and so you know whoever's going to be whoever wants to play can play yeah. but basically you do it on the training yeah. field and there's no holding back like yeah. you know so that's one massive advantage of having a Dublin have it at the moment yeah. with the football because there's so many players coming in there yeah. Um, yeah. and that's the that's 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 important and obviously then if you're kind of if you're stretched you don't want to be you know flying into a fellow where you're actually going to injure one of your best players yeah. or whatever it may be and then you're caught out for a couple of weeks so it's um, you know it's a fine balance I got handed Father Tommy Maher's book uh, a number of weeks ago um, as I knew I was going to be meeting Enda McAvoy unfortunately I hadn't time you know, the last number of years to read the book, I was aware it was there, but I wasn't aware of the significance of the book and the significance of uh, Father Tommy Maher's uh, role in Kilkenny's history and Kilkenny's legacy of the success that they brought in the 50s, 60s and 70s and how it maybe transpired um, you know, into the later years of the 90s and noughties, um, in particular with Brian Cody taking over uh, the Kilkenny team in the late 90s as Brian was a, a player underneath Father Tommy Maher back in the, the 70s. Father Tommy Maher's coaching um, is portrayed from all the players in terms of how good he was at it, how much he did it, always looking at the game, breaking it down, what kind of drills we need to be doing, breaking down the skills of the game. And I suppose just looking for those um, small margins to try and improve his players, and whether it's from free-taking, whether it's from the weight of the ball or the size of the hurl, Father Timar was always looking at ways to improve that team and to make them better. And Tommy Morrow's legacy. I think Hatherman old Tommy Morrow Obviously, had there been no Tommy Marr, Kilkenny would not be in the place that Kilkenny Hurling is today. Had there been no Tommy Marr and that Kilkenny team of the 1970s, that 67 led on to, there would have been no Brian Cody and the Kilkenny team of the noughties, uh, this generation, because obviously everything is affected by what happens in the past. Domino effect, yeah. Do- domino yeah. effect, that's it. That Kilkenny team in the 70s produced Eddie Kerr and Pat Henderson as future managers, Ollie Welsh, another Tommy Marr alumnus, and then Brian Cody. Uh, so you have to ask, had there been no Tommy Marr, had there been no 67, had there been no Kilkenny team in the 70s, we're living in a completely different twirling world. I mean, that that is no uh, kind of aspersion on the players of the past 15, 18 years, but they would have been living in a different, a different environment. And that success, as you said, three in, in the 60s, like that would have brought on you know other players 10, 15, 20, you know, 15 years younger than the lads in terms of, look, Kenny are back winning, you know, it creates role models, it creates interest, there's hype, 
Um, again, Galway needed that even years back too in the 70s and 80s and um, right, to, yeah. to get more people interested and to yeah. get belief and get confidence that you can actually do it. And, and thankfully, yeah. that has definitely excelled in Kilkenny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes there is not an instant payoff because after winning four in the 70s, they only won two uh, in the 80s and two in the 90s. But, you know, kind of uh, these things put roots in the soil. Do, yeah. uh, for once, for once, it's hard to keep them cycles going at that level. It, it's yeah. just not normally. You, no, can't, no. you can't do it. Yeah, no. no I mean, but uh, I mean, you're not going to produce the players all yeah. the time. But once the structures are there, are there? once yeah. the interest in there, once the tradition is there, once the expectancy uh, is there, then you're always going to be in uh, with a chance. Like the fact, Father Time Hour was up in the stand back then in '67, and he saw the, the advantage of being up at a height. Yeah. And uh, you know, for years I haven't seen much of that really. It's only maybe uh, Jim Gavin from Dublin Footballer. Yeah. He go up maybe into the into where the subs are, just a small bit of height there. But yeah. will we go to the direction of maybe rugby, where there's actually a, a little studio there for the managers, um, where they have a TV? And you know, I, again, I'd have a feeling there could be a, a system like that, maybe or a structure like that in our stadiums um, in years. To come. Very possibly. Uh, what you're what you're seeing now, anyway, and this may may prevent it is. They have their backroom staff up high, feeding them stuff in real time. So uh, when you're going at half time, you have your two or three messages. No more, I believe no more than three messages, one or two, no more than three, that the managers will emphasise. So uh, maybe they don't need to be uh, up there to see everything. They have a fair idea what's going on, and the stats they're getting then at half time reinforce what they've seen. But no, uh, you could you could be right. Yeah, and even at the minute, what, what I'd say will change very very quickly is sometimes you, you try and get a message into one of the players and you might have you might have one of the backroom team to run in and give it yeah. I think that's going to go very quickly because what's happening is there's interference with that um, backroom team member and I've seen it now a couple of times this year yeah I see yeah so I mean in 50 years time uh, all the players mic'd up or wired mm. up like in American football yeah there could be genuinely there could be something like that because you can't mic one because the, the, the corner back to the corner forward so mm. um, and defence and, it, and oh, yeah. uh, offensive yeah. coaches yeah. I definitely think that will come in people might be laughing about it now but the game has really come oh well yeah I, I mean you say, uh, I mean I assume with Kakani that someone would take the forwards for coaching someone would take the backs for coaching yeah there'd be, there'd be a, bit of, a bit of that going on yeah. without really saying Specific, there's an offensive yeah, defensive yeah, 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 yeah. but yeah. I, I think those roles will come in to be more um, structured yeah. that way more specific yeah Liam McCarthy McCarthy outside here to Adrian Ronan Ronan on his way once again stopped there by Paul Cooney so here today with uh, Adrian Ronan to talk about the 67 uh, All-Ireland between Tipperary and Kilkenny um, you obviously your Kilkenny career started in the late 80s um, as a kind of a minor 19 years of age come onto the Kilkenny panel and you stayed on until maybe about 10, 10 odd years am I right in saying that 10 yeah years. I didn't last long but I, well, I got I got 10 <laughs> years out no, in that time it was unusual we won the minor in September and 6 weeks later I ended up getting the call to play because the league three league matches were playing yeah. played in before Christmas. Before Christmas. Okay. And then not only did I get the call, I was the free taker. So that was a massive change uh, for a young lad, especially in the modern game. Now when you think of strength and conditioning, I wouldn't have been... You know, I mean, at that yeah. stage, surprise, surprise, I was only maybe 11 stone and that was... They had me then, at that stage, in those ages, doing um, a gym programme even back then. Yeah, And thankfully, eating three steaks a day... <laughs> And now look what happened. <laughs> so, um, no, but that was odd. It was very unusual, yeah, yeah to have a lad breaking in. At that time, lads broke in when they were 
you know, in Cody's era, you nearly had to be 21 to break into the yeah. team in the modern game. But in our time, you broke in, Quite and of course, early. earlier. And then that famous Kilkenny team of 87, they lost 87 to Galway. And then we won the minor 88. So there was kind of a, a change of the guard. Yeah. The older lads were... Moving on a bit. We're maybe. moving on a little bit. Like, no one likes to go, but there was a change of the guard. Yeah. And Dermot Healy came in at that time. And he took over, and then he wanted to bring in a few... Of the younger lads and myself and DJ and Pat O'Neill, I think might have been brought on certainly within a year. Uh, and strangely, I was in the head of DJ at the time. He was a bit more lighter and wasn't uh, probably physically ready yeah. for it. Do you know what I mean? But DJ actually said you were you were the free taker back then, and you probably were the one of the the best forwards at the time. To be fair, you see, even Kieran's obviously and the minor, you would have been the. Well, I was getting the breaks at the time. Yeah, if you <laughs> if you read the books, but then something went wrong then between nineteen and twenty. I don't know what happened, but anyway, we still got a good time over. Yeah, Great, yeah, good yeah. man. That's good. And uh, manager as well as Ollie. Ollie would have came in around the ninety one, maybe. Would he? Yeah. Well, then what happened then was in eighteen eighty eighty nine. Robert Hill was there and then Ollie came in in 19 Ollie had a great run with the Kenny Intermediates and then of course a legendary figure uh, Ollie was uh, came with um, bells and whistles you'd, you'd only know Ollie from hearing about the legendary stories mm. and then that time he worked as a salesman I think at Ready Mix and you'd know him from listening to lads on the road the stories so he was a real jovial and on, and bubbly character, character yeah. so he came in in 1990 and 91 and um Obviously, he had a great run with us. He got for you know he came in ninety one. We got to Dollar and Tip beaters in Dollar in ninety one. Uh, we won ninety two, won ninety three. Uh, struggled in ninety four when we should have, and then won a league final in ninety five. So again, okay. out of those four years of Dolly, five years we did get three nice. All Ireland appearances. Fell over in ninety four. Awfully caught us on the hop in the Thunder Night in Leinster final, and then we got or no ninety five. They caught us in the Thunder Night in Leinster final, but. Uh, and then we got a league final out of Ali in 95 so Ali had a great success with that group of players and unfortunately then times changed and Lord to mercy on Ali then Ali passed away in 96 which was a, obviously huge sadness to all belong to the family of the Welches Exactly yeah. and how would you find his his manager or maybe approach compared to Jim Nari maybe or something or his um, anything that stands out I suppose um, Well sure Ali was a character and that was if you look at the modern game now and Ali was what to say? He done. He done. He he coached that through humour. If that's if you could mm. understand that, he didn't bait the table. No, he did bait the table, and he, particularly when you got beaten. But he and when he did lose the head, he lost the head. But nine times out of ten, Ali was very much uh, a jovial character. Did a true humour, even when he was telling you he was dropped. He kind of walked away thinking it wasn't so bad. <laughs> he did it in such a nice way, um, even though he still hurts you to this day. But he. Ali was a character and, and all that aura that you heard about Ali being Welsh and kids following him over the years because I was too young to understand him when he was playing he was gone I was only in 1967 and that I wasn't even born and Ali retired in 72 so okay. I didn't under, I didn't never came across Ali Welsh only the name Ali Welsh the stories and tales yeah the stories and tales but certainly when you consider modern management he was a character yeah. and all those things you heard and saw. And you know, that's, he, that's important to be, to be yeah, light-witted and light-hearted and actually be able to mix the seriousness yeah. with the humour because otherwise it's a it's a military operation yeah. nearly for some teams where you're Well, yeah, I think Ollie was cute. This is where we all learn as we go along and we all learn as we go into management is Ollie had to give you the good news but he had one or two lieutenants to give you the bad news. So <laughs> it's, good to have a, it's good to have a mix if you're training a team to have a, oh, yeah. a lad who'll spread the bad news and let you kind of take the, the good news. So Ollie had a few lads that were able to give you the bad news but no, certainly he was as I said, a massive character and obviously a massive legend in hurling. I know your your team, the Code Era, all you have become huge legends but before year era 
these were the lads that we looked up to, you know, and heard of and heard of all those great stories. And funny enough, actually, Brian, now, again, people looking at the line would be, would be asking you, Jay, what's he like? Yeah, oh, is yeah. he a madman? And yeah. Is he ever, is he ever smiling? And yeah. Like, is he actually, he'd be cracking jokes constantly. Like, yeah. You know, it's just obviously people don't see it. And, and That's it, when you're looking in from the outside, you might, you might, you might yeah, look serious. Yeah. But no, again, we'll able to mix the, the seriousness with, with, with a bit of fun as well, which is important. Are any other players it's from that 1967 um, that well, you would have known of? Obviously, up around Ballycallan there. Yeah, well, I suppose John Teen was a Tullerone man. He he was next door to us from Tullerone, so again, you'd have heard of John Teen. You'd meet him. He was a farmer locally, and he played in that 1967 team. And he was a steely character that you know mm-hmm. represented Tullerone and Freshford. I think at that stage. Um, but certainly over the times then, you know, you bump into Pa Dillon, Pa through the Camogie world, uh, I got to know Pa very well particularly, and sure Pa was legendary when he was minding the square and you talk about Hells Angels and fullbacks, he was out in his own. Yeah. And again, I had the pleasure of meeting Pa numerous times during Camogie matches, and as a young lad maybe, when I was young, and I say young lads, 18, 19, 20, umpiring beside Pa. Sure, I never won a battle because every ball was over the bar <laughs> away. And so I learned very early in my career of umpiring not to take even on Pad Dillon during an umpiring. And of course, Ted Carroll. Ted then was a secretary with us. Ted was a, obviously a very quiet man and you know a, a different. Late eighties was it Ted or was it? Ted was in maybe the eighties and nineties. Ted was the secretary, but when we were going well in that ninety two ninety three team. Ted was looking after everything and sure Ted's house and uh, on the Granger's Road was. Sometimes you had to go to the house for tickets and sure the BQ back into town to get tickets for matches and Ted like Paddy Grace Lord to Mercy I believe you'd always get a ticket you know and Ted was uh, just one of those lads that got a job done with no fuss you know what I mean and he was always in the background never out the front and yet the job was done perfectly and I think he was the very same in the hurling field like, you know what I mean so they were the lads that I would have came across of course I'd have known the Paddy Mourns the Jim Tracy's all legends in their times yeah. and Tom Welsh and Shamie Clear and of course Shiner's father Goggy different lads and Kerr of course yeah. Eddie, we had Eddie as a selector in 89 in, and that time it was a great story in 89 Dermot Healy he was a selector with Dermot Healy in 89 and Kerr again being a legend Eddie Kerr so we went over to Coventry that time they're losing Leinster finals played a losing Munster finalist. So we ended up playing Waterford in 89 in Coventry in August. Imagine that now, of Coventry in August. And you could just imagine we didn't really, some lads didn't really take it serious. And uh, But we got to know Eddie Kerr very well that weekend. I don't know who ref the match that weekend, but I'd say he never ref the match again because Eddie let him know. So again, Eddie was one of these lads I didn't know at the time was wanted to win regardless what it was, where it was. So obviously that made him why he was so special. Drive here with Tommy Welsh in studio uh, to talk about the 1967 All Ireland final. On the buses up in, up to uh, Crow Park and that, and, and, and ever else around Ireland over the years when we're, when we're going up to the games. Uh, in your career in particular, obviously, um, we was talking about everything, and anything in terms of topics. Of it could be banking, or it could be insurance, or it could be it could be anything. And uh, sometimes we talk obviously obviously we talk about hurling as well, and the, the, the teams of the 80s or the 90s and. That's the times when I'd, I'd maybe just, yeah, that's me out. I'm not going to be listening here because I wouldn't be too sure of, of who was there and who wasn't there, and especially going back to the 80s even, yeah, 70s and 80s. But for some reason, you'd seem to know the teams back then, who was cornerback, even for likes of Antrim or someone, you'd know who it was. 
where did you get that Ovin Park is, is, is the very same I, I know by him he's again massive uh, into history of, of the GA and of, and of other teams does that come from your father Mikey or, or, or Maker who's it come yeah, from yeah it came from both my mother and father like since we were young um, I suppose three four years of age we lived down in the hurling field he was still hurling at the time and I suppose Tullerone were in county finals winning county finals so it was just a great time to be around the village and um I was only probably 11 or 12 at the time and you're going into a dressing room and everyone's laughing and joking and it's just a great, um, I suppose, place to be around and that's what my father introduced me to and I just straight away knew I loved the whole setup. It wasn't just hurling, it was everything that went with it and um, my mother then, her, her father Paddy Grace, was steeped in it, secretary for Kilkenny County Board for probably over 20 years and he was just, I suppose, <clears throat> a hurling man out and out just that's all he lived, that's all he breathed. Anyone that wanted all Ireland tickets, you'd hear stories now. If you were into Hurling, you'd give him a call and he'd find a ticket somewhere. So he passed on to me mother and like when we were going to primary school games, 11, 12 years of age, she never missed one. And as I went on, as I went to Cairns and on to university, my father used to take holidays. So his annual leave used to be taken around our Hurling matches. So that'll tell you, I suppose... We we didn't just I suppose start um, enjoying the game. It, it was obviously given down to us by by our parents. Uh, just go back to Paddy Grace there for a sec. He's your granddad, uh, obviously integral to Kilkenny's success and their the structures that they set up uh, over the years um, in Kilkenny. Always looked after players with if they're stuck for a few pound with tickets, anything at all. I think the county board has probably brought that on as well. To be fair, that culture brought on uh, as we are all have been looked after over the years. But uh, Paddy, obviously. He was passed away when you were born, right? Yeah, around the same year, um, year. nineteen eighty-three. I'm not sure exactly of the month, but it was the same year he was born. I tell you, I I was lucky enough as well to have the experience of um, hurling through my career with Nate Quinn, was chairman of the Kenny County Board for for most of that time, and definitely even when he wasn't chairman, he was one of the main men there, and. I would definitely, I don't know, Ned might, uh, I suppose, discuss it further, but I'd say he was definitely um, influenced by Paddy Grace because all the stories that I'm hearing about Paddy Grace, I see the very same thing as Ned Quinn. Like, Ned Quinn was the ultimate players, man, in the modern time when you can't really, you know, as you said, Paddy Grace used to give the players a few pounds here and there, or um, he'd sort out lads with tickets. Well, you know, obviously you can't do that really anymore, but Ned Quinn, as much as he could do, would do everything for the players. Like coming up to an All-Ireland final, he knew that the last thing a player needed was the hassle of tickets. So he would go above and beyond to make sure that uh, one of the, the Kilkenny hurlers that was lying out in the All-Ireland wasn't under pressure for tickets. He might come to you on the side, he might uh, give you a phone call, just make sure that your head is in the right place for the All-Ireland. Just an unreal players, man. But he wouldn't suffer fools either. Like uh, You wouldn't be going around getting tickets for guys that, I suppose, were going to their first All-Ireland. He'd make sure he'd know the genuine guys. And like everything I saw in the Quinn... It's what I'm hearing about Paddy Grace, that my grandfather, like, and um, definitely was, a, I suppose, a great, it's great to hear about your own relations. I think you used to hide them all over the house, the tickets there, from what <laughs> it was like a, it was like a, an open house for all the world where people just, just come and go, but it sounded like great fun and great crack, and, uh, and that's the whole GA thing again, and just going back to, yeah, who else we have, we've got Jim, we have Jim Tracy, and... We have. Have you met him before? He's captain of Kilkenny in '67. Yeah, I had Jim. Like we, as as Kilkenny hurlers during the last few years, like we were blessed with you know many of them players that played for the '67 team. Jim Tracy was one of them. 
they gave us fierce encouragement. Like it's easy to look back at our team now and say they're a great team, but we started from nowhere too. We didn't ver- win very much underage until we got to under twenty one and. Straight away when we came into the Kenny teams, like any time you'd meet him on the street, any time you meet him at a club match, full of encouragement, full of kind of complimentary words, and you know what you're doing for Kenny Hurling is great, and I found that marvelous because even then I suppose when you we went on and won the few All Irelands, like you'd often see in other places where past players, you know, they might be so complimentary of their players and. It looks like a small thing, but every little thing they say in the papers, everything they maybe say to your father or say to your your mother or your friends, like complimenting your team or you, like it's a massive uh, build up of, uh, I suppose, confidence for you because it's coming from players that have done it. And the likes of Jim Tracy, he'd always meet me, he'd have a smile on his face and he'd be asking how things are going and how do you stay doing it. And, you know, it was, it was brilliant, like, to hear. And I remember the 2012 Leinster final. We were beating B Galway and um you know a lot of people were kinda of saying was the team on the decline and we finished and we played ourselves Ballyhale in a, a league match, championship league match out in um it was out in Dunhamagan the week after, I think the Friday night after and I was lucky enough had a after not playing well in the Leinster final, had a particularly good game, the club game, and Eddie Kerr came over to me straight after onto the field. Um, saying just you're still there, you're still going well. You know, after receiving a lot of, I suppose, uh, criticism during the week, here's coming from who many people, you know, would say is the greatest Kilkenny hurler of all time, Eddie Kerr. He was putting up numbers when no one was putting up these numbers, and he was the man who was able to score twenty ones when there was six or seven lads on the goal and a big heavy ball. It wasn't the light ball we had now, and you know, for a guy like that to come over in the middle of the field and can give you that bit of confidence again going forward, like. You know, I'd love to see does that happen in other places. So mm-hmm. that '67 team and and many of the the other Kilkenny teams, them players of the past, they definitely, um, I suppose, they were great role models to us, mm-hmm. and um, it meant a lot to to, to to us as players. Yeah, and even even myself and I've learned loads last number of weeks during this documentary on the players and that and who they were and, and, and as I said the stories and it's not until you start researching and start looking at the game itself actually as well it's like six, seven, all Ireland was a great spectacle as well to actually watch and then you actually begin to appreciate more like you know and the legacy that they have and that they've left and as you said even yet during the success over the last 10 to 15 years with Kenny you'd see him around and they'd be talking to you and they're, they're nearly happier than you are in terms of the success that we've had and especially obviously games against Tipperary and that obviously local rivals and as you said with Eddie Kerr he obviously is probably still uh, you know, running in the same boots as we are we, we are in the field over the last 10 years as well Like so that's really important and Pat Henderson has put in a huge amount of work as well uh, with the development squads with the committees you know the county board so he went from the field into the kind of the structures of, of Opaddy Grace and the lads had left and obviously he's building that on further too and I think that's uh, really important as well The measure of Pat Henderson I suppose really is he looks for no credit he never wants his name in any papers or never wants his name in any committees but he's the lad behind the scenes doing all the, the work like which is absolutely massive you know <laughs> you have a next door neighbour down there too John Teen yeah um, you, would, would you have met him or would you yeah so John played in the 67 midfield I heard he had a great All-Ireland and John was uh, well, he was selector for the Tullerone team and we won the 94 county final I would have been 11 years of age or that and and he, oh, he was brilliant around the club and you know even in later years as I started hurling with Kilkenny and that just really complimentary again and you know coming up to you after a match and saying he's well done on Sunday and you'd see him you know down in the field he was always down in the field and 
thanks a million you're giving us great memories back here in the parish and just another guy there who I suppose like none of these lads looked on I suppose with, with, with envy or anything like that saying you know they were the heroes you know 40 or 50 years ago here's the new guys trying to take our mantle they never thought like that they were the guys that I suppose they started really the whole thing of we're just passing on the jersey like them guys they had their time any men keeping their feet on the ground I think which is important and that's definitely been passed on I think uh, over the last over 10, 15, 20 years easily yeah. um, another pl- player or, well, someone else in your family your auntie was married to would that be right your auntie married to Tom Welch that's right yeah that's uh, right. And again so your family steeped in, in hurling tradition and uh, Tom unfortunately lost his eye that, that day you know to a, a severe blow um, met Tom as well and again just absolutely mesmerised how great and sound he was and you know he had no he had no animosity at the time about what happened in that and has gone on with his life and you know obviously that was a big game changer for him in terms of sport and, and in life and never you know held anyone up in terms of it was someone's fault or anything just got on with life yeah and that was a measure of him really and I suppose I listened to any young fella including myself like he was dealt with I suppose I think he was 21 or 22 years of age at the time and he was dealt with I suppose the ultimate setback from a sporting point of view you know and even life point of view and the worry that goes along with it and as you said he never held it against anyone and never spoke bitterly about the, the Tipperary players or our team at the time and um, he used it probably as a motivation to go on and he became a very successful businessman and really got stuck into that area of his life and I know um, self and Angela and the lads did a great life, you know, afterwards and towards other guys, you know, like if you were to look at the negative side of it, you might, I suppose, start, you know, um, going back into your shell and you might never hear or, or tell of the man again. But the measure of him was, you know, you're always trying to teach your young kids in the underage setups that, you know, they fall down to get straight back up again. And I suppose he did it. And, you know, we had great times with Tom and Angela as well. And, like from when I was very young again, Tom was constantly ringing up the house, you know, see how he was getting on. You'd have to go on. It was the home phone that time. There was no mobiles, and um, you know, Mammy or, or my father called me down the room or the outside, and Tom was on the phone there. You'd come in, and you could be on the phone to him for fifteen minutes or that. And like his his advice to me was always like at the when I came on to Kenny team, I was kind of to and from between the backs and the forwards, and. He was always telling me attack that ball. He said he's watched me a few times, and that's where I look at my ease and at my best is when I'm attacking that ball. And so obviously, you know, like when I did go back into the backs, then it was kind of a, a comfort knowing that listen, here was my uncle after telling me this is where I was my home really back in the half back line where I could go out in front. I wasn't thinking about when I was in the forwards. You have to think about going around your man and this and that. Towards back in the backs, out win the ball and drive forward. And it was great to have someone again like himself. Um, I think it was he called the blonde bombshell. I think was at the time. Loves that name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I've never called him that. Out of his oh, you may, you, know, you may call him next <laughs> So you know, like it was great having him around and making the phone calls. And then, sure, I suppose when you know during later on in my career, then I suppose I was involved in more confrontations when I was on the field, and there was a bit of aggro, I suppose, in the stands, maybe between Kenny and Tipperary supporters and. I used to always get a text off of Tom's wife, Angela, you know, um, or maybe Tom himself saying, Angela was in another row up in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> Stick it up for me. And someone was obviously giving out about me, but she wouldn't let it be said. And, you know, she was very kind of a gentle woman as well. So that made it even better for me. Uh-huh. Like, 
and I got them texts. They used to laugh for ten or fifteen minutes, and um, but at the same time, very proud because here's your auntie and your uncle who be <laughs> wouldn't be as confrontational as myself as was on the field, but here they were as hard as nails and getting stuck into the Tipperary or whoever supporters, and um, it was definitely um, funny because. Then texts used to come regularly. <laughs> <laughs> Great fire and passion. So, uh, just one or two small things as well about the. Uh, so, the rivalry with Tipperary and Kilkenny was huge, and, and as, as you well know, it's still huge to this day. But funny enough, Eddie Carr would say, you know, a lot of his best friends outside of Kilkenny are from Tipperary and, and of, of that team. Tom Welch would have said the same thing. So even though on the field it was tough, it was hard, it, it could be bitter enough at times, they always again had the respect afterwards to um, you know, enjoy each other's company, I suppose. you know. And back then they wouldn't have had college and maybe socialising afterwards probably wouldn't have happened either, but some way or another they, they, they found each other. For one, I think we're temporary. Like I was in college down UCC and a um, few Kilkenny lads we were down there and our best friends, a lot of them were temporary guys as well, which is, is funny enough. And even still to this day... Um, very friendly with those Tipperary guys that we went to college with and I think we kind of share the same interests like you know they're kind of farming backgrounds um, steeped in kind of small clubs mostly in Kilkenny or in Tipperary it's a tradition just hurling that's all their lives um, surround themselves with really is hurling and it's similar enough to Kilkenny so when you share so many interests with guys um, you know they like a few pints as well and our lads like a few pints after a match and you know, I, I would even say that the Kilkenny Tipperary rivalry that we were involved with, like, on the field, like, it was cutthroat. But off the field, like, when, when you're on, I suppose, all star tours or you're out after, might meet guys out after matches, whenever it was, or you used to get on him because you kind of thought the same way, like, you know, we kind of think the same thing about hurling. You hit that ball as long as you can, and it's man versus man, you win your own ball. And that's a good point yeah and obviously they're next they're, they're neighbours too and as you know with clubs and that your your neighbours there's always big rivals obviously they're right there which is which is important and it's a good tradition and I suppose that makes the GA so special and it's one thing I mentioned before as well you know sometimes you'd hate a player on the field and that or whatever and um, and then next thing you get to know him and off the field and goes jeez that lad's fairly sound yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then you might be going as hard as the men the next day so <laughs> that's, the, that's the only disadvantage of, of actually getting to know someone because yeah. normally majority of lads are genuine and sound and obviously in the GA you'll come across you know 99% of them all, all the time yeah well I used to call that sports hatred you kind of hate everyone that you're playing against but that's it it was left on the field then. From there goes. the referee is calling for the ball and the game is over, and Kilkenny are the Well, this is the final programme in the documentary series, September 3rd, 1967. The black and amber tide turns. To listen back to this or any of the previous three programmes, then log on to kclr96fm.com forward slash documentary forward slash 1967. I'm Michael Fenley. Thank you to all the guests who contributed, and thank you for listening. September 3rd, 1967, the black and amber tide turns. Presented by Michael Fenley. Produced by Monica Hayes, Linda Mooney and Sue Nunn. September 3rd, 1967, the black and amber tide turns was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee and is sponsored by Castlecomer Credit Union. Celebrating 50 years of dedicated service to our members since 1967.